Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to this week's episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, and today we're going to talk about trauma because I think many of us are beginning to realize just how fundamental this is to the menopause experience that we have. And I am so honored and delighted to bring to this conversation somebody I had the privilege of being on their podcast, and that is Karen Robinson. Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, Karen. Thank you so much, Clarissa, for hosting me today. It's my pleasure. I want to tell my listeners a little bit about you, Karen. You are author, a speaker, you're also a therapist, transfer coach, and a trauma recovery expert. And you are the founder and CEO of Heal Thrive Dream. So deep into the trauma work. Tell me a little bit about how you came into this space. Yes, I'd be happy to share that. The reason I have concentrated on trauma, healing, and recovery in my career is I myself am a survivor. I grew up in a dysfunctional home where there was domestic violence, childhood abuse. And because of the traumas that I went through, there was a point in my life where I was suicidal and, and had a suicide attempt very early, I think before 12. And I ran away from home at 14 years old, fortunate enough that other family took me in and became my guardians. I just focused on school. I really wanted to be successful. I wanted a different life. I also was really passionate about helping others. So ever since I was small, I wanted to be in the healing profession. And after my attempt, when I didn't die, I, I knew that I was meant to be here and meant to have a bigger purpose. Thus, the, the trauma recovery work. I've been doing it for over 25 years now. That's a huge story, but I'm sure that so many women can relate to, and other people, and men, and non-binary people can relate to growing up in those situations and sadly experiencing those feelings. Yeah. Karen, how common is trauma from our childhood to resist at the time when we're going through big life transitions, be they men of motherhood or other life transitions? Huge. I see women either start therapy or come back to therapy around those transitions. It can be things like getting married or graduating from college and not knowing what the next steps will look like. That fear of the unknown is very triggering. Hormonal changes during pregnancy. A lot of women are having certain flashbacks of their sexual traumas around childbirth and just looking at their innocent baby and just like, how could anyone hurt innocent child comes up for them. Menopause, the hormones again. Also during the point of life, women 
who have worked really hard and or poured into their families, they all of a sudden realize that they need to start taking care of themselves because the trauma and stress have taken such a toll on them, their minds and their bodies and their souls that they really start being ready for doing the work. Yeah, it's pretty huge, the transitions. Is trauma more common among women than men or are we equally likely to experience it or are we experiencing maybe for different reasons? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some arguments to say it's not easy being a man in our society and that trauma amongst little boys is prolific. However, it's still more prolific with women, especially sexual trauma, sexual assault. Women are more vulnerable oftentimes because of how we're raised. We're raised to be people pleasers. We're raised to be nice girls. We're raised to comply. And because of our smaller stature, a lot of times too, we're more at risk. So yeah, it's still more so women than men, although it is a, a problem with men as well. Yeah. So is the predominant type of trauma women experiencing of a sexual nature? In some form. Yeah, it is. It's either sex abuse as children, sexual assault. In any point in the lifespan, even older women experience sexual assault. Also sexual harassment, especially in the workplace, especially in the fields that are heavier with men. So women in tech experience a lot more harassment. Women that are diverse, who feel like they have less of a voice at times, also experience more harassment and abuse statistically. And of course, that sits in the body, doesn't it? Can show up not just mentally and emotionally, but also physically. Yeah, pretty much most medical conditions get exacerbated. So yes, trauma impacts our medical, physical bodies, our energetic levels, our hormones, excuse me, our mental health, our spiritual health, our relationships, our education, our decision-making, our ability to work and focus, our ability to raise our children impacts our romantic relations relationships. I have not found an area that trauma hasn't hit a person by. Well, well, it's it feels like it it just completely can impact your whole life and your ability to live a good life if I'm Yes, and it sounds right. very bleak, but the truth is excuse me, I lost my voice all of a sudden. The truth is our brain and ourselves we can regenerate and we can heal. There's lots and lots of hope. It's the issue with the hope is it's work. So you have to find the right therapist, the right coach, the right community, support community. With these things in place, you can heal and get better. So yeah. there is lots of hope, even though it sounds bleak. Yeah, it sounds like it's, and I think maybe the good thing in that is that we're starting to talk about it, aren't we, Karen? We're starting to actually have public conversations about trauma and its impact on our lives. And our community. Yeah. And I think that's the big point, isn't it, Karen? It's not just the individual, but it's the people that surround the individual closely out in their wider community. Yeah. Yes. Tell me a little bit about, you said there's hope. What are some of the ways that we can support women or women can be treated for this trauma? Yeah, really great question. Oh, excuse me one second. Okay. The number one way listed in research is a supportive community, which is exactly why I started a virtual membership online for survivors that offers coaching, but also a peer support group so women can see that they're not alone. For some of them, it's the first time 
they're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe other women feeling the same way about something. So for example, in our last group session, the women started to notice that a lot of them were struggling with perf- and avoiding certain things because they didn't want to fail. They saw this theme and they were just amazed at all of them. I think it was all of them in that particular group had that in common. So it it's very validating to have the peer support and have some supportive coaching. I recommend that women, when they think about their healing, they think about their self-care in a different way. So effective trauma work is usually top down and bottom up. So top down is when you're processing the, the trauma, but it has to be slow or the survivor can feel very flooded and overwhelmed. And it has to be balanced with the bottom up approaches, which is like your mindfulness activities, meditation, things that really are soothing. And then that way they can keep going in treatment and not drop out because if you flood them, it's really hard for them to keep going. So that's how I work. I I try to do baby steps with them. The trauma education, the trauma treatment, and I usually have an eclectic approach. I don't do anything cookie cutter with my clients. I try to tailor to what they need. Absolutely. And I think it was really interesting there. We talked about perfectionism. One of the books that I've been reading over the summer is Marion Woodman's Addiction to Perfection, which just about sums up where we are as women. Do you think that women who have experienced trauma are particularly prone to perfection? So what happens when we're harmed by trauma is we end up feeling not worthy, not good enough. So then it comes a lifelong pursuit to prove that we're worthy. And what better way to prove that we're worthy than being perfect in whatever we take on? And then we get in our own way. We get stuck. We do. We do. And I think that's quite possibly different from other forms of perfectionism where we've been praised for doing something and then we continue to do this. This is this sense of self-worth or lack of self-worth with women. So how does that, for example, show up Mm -hmm. in women? One of the ways it shows up is with perfectionism, which is usually anxiety-driven, Okay, so you have this feel of pressure and stress. What tends to happen is if you also struggle with depression, which is very unmotivating, it's you get stuck with pro- between procrastination and perfectionism. So procrastination because I don't have time. I'm overwhelmed. I can't make this perfect. So the brain is so why bother? Don't don't do it. Don't do anything risky. Don't do anything if you can't do it perfectly. So then that impacts our ability to be creative and pursue new things or take risks sometimes. So that's mostly what I see. Did I answer your question? Yeah, which yeah, you did. And of course, if we feel like that, we women remain stuck, don't they? They're just stuck, whether that's in relationships or stuck in being able to do something for their health, whatever that might be. And as you were speaking there, Karen, I mean, it reminds me also that women are also experiencing anxiety in perimenopause because of hormonal change and the change, the shifts in hormones and their impact on the brain will heighten that anxiety. So it must be a like a double whammy experience for women in perimenopause who have trauma because the anxiety must be... Yeah, and there's so much about symptoms around menopause that mimic either anxiety or depression. So it's, yeah, I really recommend that women educate themselves, read about the symptoms so they don't feel alone, look at their treatment options, find support. I find that a lot of gaslighting happens around women and their hormones and their mood related to anything 
related to our hormonal health and our ovaries. Oh, she must be on her cycle or oh, she's still menopausal. We hear all kinds of things, don't we? Yeah. A lot of stereotyping, which if you're already trying to be perfect and you're not matching society's view of what you should look like or be like, it must be dialing up that anxiety and it's accompanying depression. Tremendous. It also talked about a top-down approach, an up approach. So you mentioned their mindfulness and meditation. How do you see that or how does that play into the treatment and management of trauma? Yeah, great question. Meditation, mindfulness, they just help with so many things in general. How they're helpful from a trauma lens is that they can be very soothing. They can help us feel grounded, centered. They help us just to learn how to be. When we learn how to, we're not feeling shame from the past or depression because of our past. And we're also not anxious about what will happen next in our future. We're just learning how to be in the moment. With trauma too, oftentimes we may not feel safe, even though we logically know in our home, in our room, that we are safe. When we're triggered by memories or events that happen that remind us of our trauma, we, our body doesn't know that we're safe because it's triggered. And so those bottom-up approaches of meditation, just learning how to ground yourself, to scan the room, scan your body, those help us just learn the peace that can come of just being in the moment. So that's how they're helpful. And of course, there has been a growing interest in trauma-informed mind through people like Dr. David Trelevan and others, which I think is really helpful because it allows people to feel safe as they do the practice. Are you working in those ways as well with your client? Yeah, we dabble. So with me being a survivor myself too, meditation, that practice, even though I highly believe in it, it's always been a difficult practice for me. So I am still a work in progress with that. I, I value it deeply. Getting myself to do it as a type A woman has been fascinating because it always feels like I'm wasting time not doing anything. And I keep thinking about my to-do list. Oh, when is this over? I can actually do stuff. It's not the best attitude to have about it. It's really luring and savoring being in the moment that will help with that. Yeah. The one thing that drives me crazy when other providers do or some providers do meditation with survivors is things like on the first session, getting them to close their eyes and to meditate, that doesn't tend to be effective. In order for a provider or support person to meditate with a client, they have to be able to trust you or they have to have yeah. an out. Like it's, you need to tell them it's okay not to close your eyes. You can have a soft gaze. Or what I usually do is teach and give options and then encourage them to do it on their own. And if they in the future want me to do it with them, I, I'm happy to offer them that service. But I feel meditation sometimes is private. Like I know there's these big groups of people that meditate together. And I'm going to something like that for the first time tomorrow in my community. So I'm curious on how I well, will do. But for me, it's been hard to do these things in a group. Like you have to feel, for being a survivor, you have to trust and, and feel calm and safe in your environment. It's important. Yeah. Yeah. And I fully understand that having trained as a mindfulness practitioner and then I did some trauma teaching training and I was like there was quite a lot of deference we were I would say 
my learning was we were much slower in the process than you would have been in a group of non-trauma sufferers. Well, we're not sufferers, but people who have experienced trauma in that, you're right, there's having options to go out, maybe just working with grounding our feet and feeling safe here. And then if that feels a little better, you could try this. And it is a much more led and gentler process. So let's close our eyes and do a body scan, which could be quite terrifying, actually, for a Especially if you're disconnected or dissociated. I don't know what my body's feeling. I don't know what to do. I love the meditations that are like, and we could focus on the top of your head. How does, how, what are you feeling? And sometimes I touch my head and I'm like, is there any feelings? Here? And that was an important point that this definitely become part of the way in which trauma people, people who've experienced trauma actually manage because you disconnect from you. That's a survival technique and it's very effective. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and particularly challenging, I think, when you're going through pregnancy or you're going through menopause, when you actually want to be listening to your body so that you can make those adjustments, tune into your symptoms. Because that's one of the things about managing your menopause is getting close, but if you're deterred, that must feel really hard and doubly frightening if your body starts to behave in a way that is not what it's done before. Exactly. And I think it hits women harder because all of a sudden it's wham, they feel it because it's really strong. Either the, the heat that happens or how your body temperature will go up or you're missing your cues when depression like seeps in. So all of a sudden you're like, wow, super sad. You're like, where did this come from? And it's because you weren't mindful of the triggers before because you're so used to ignoring them and just trying to get through the day. So yeah, I agree. There clearly is such a great role for mindfulness meditation done in the right way here. And then and that marry you marry that with a top down approach, and obviously that's where your role as a therapist comes in. And as you said, that's very individual. Right. And does that include compassion or some of the other things that it that are incorporated? Yeah, compassion work has been a game changer in, in the trauma field, in my opinion. Huge fan of Dr. Kristen Naff and self compassion work. We're starting a trauma group in my church in the next few weeks and our first workbook that we're going to do is self-compassion so yeah when you can learn to have self-compassion you're, you're able to release the, the shame that you shouldn't be claiming to begin with you'll learn that you didn't create your trauma you didn't deserve your trauma and that your value has nothing to do with how many times that you've been hurt they're not related so yeah i'm a huge fan of compassion work yeah and Dr. Christine Neff comes up a lot in these podcasts because her work is fundamental, and I think fundamental particularly for women to not just have the soft, but also this fierce where we stand up for our own boundaries and really learn to meet and manage the shame differently rather than burying it, and along with guilt, which are very strong emotions. Yeah. The other cool thing that happens yeah. with book self-compassion when I work with clients through it. It's almost the gift that keeps on giving. A lot of my clients have given the book to their friends and their friends give the book to their friends. It's like a beautiful movement when that happens. Yeah, so I, I love that about the work. Oh, and listening to the audio yeah, is I think, super yes. healing, very soothing. And so many beautiful compassion practices that can be done at any time of the day when we feel, where maybe we feel triggered. And I, I think they help Pretty much anybody. I remember when my kids were little, 
And I would teach them like, okay, if you miss mommy when you're at school or daycare, just give yourself a hug. Do the butterfly tapping, just like yourself. And so one of my middle child, when I would leave for work, when we had a nanny, she'd be in the window and I would be in the car. So we had this little ritual where we would wave, we would blow a cat and we would ourselves. And it was just beautiful. We did that every morning for a long time. Yeah. I think all of those are such beautiful practices. So there are lots of ways that survivors can feel hope. Yes. What would you say was some of the top things that people could take away? If you had to give me maybe your top one or two things that a survivor could do right now that could begin the process of feeling hope, what would that be? Yeah, you have such a list. So I'll try to be succinct and try to hit the the highlights. So one of the things is understanding or knowing that whatever is in your head, whatever your thoughts are or your beliefs, especially critical ones, they all can be changed. And that's research proven. And so sometimes it's just as simple as taking the, the negative thought you have. So let's say the negative thought is, I am stupid. If I tell you to believe I am Einstein, your brain's going to be like, no, that's not believable. So you want a believable statement that you can practice. So one of my favorites is being capable of learning. There's not an individual where that's not true for. You know, even severely compromised people with intellectual disabilities learn things every day. So I am capable of learning. I'm capable of improving is very powerful. I teach my clients to take those top beliefs they want to have, and it's okay not to believe them today. I teach them how to practice those. So you expose yourself by having them up everywhere, your computer wallpaper, your refrigerator, having it in your purse, your wallet, posting it on your wall, everywhere you can think of. But also the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up is the first thing your eyes are seeing. You say it out loud so your ears are hearing it. You're touching the paper if you can, the index card. It's also beautiful if you have some incense, some essential oils going to have that smell too. Grounding your feet, looking in the mirror, and just pronouncing them confidently. So I like that in the morning. I like it to be the last thing before you go to bed. And then practicing it around lunch, going through your affirmations that you want to believe. And it does, it depends how stubborn your brain is. Survivors tend to have stubborn thinking. So you may need to practice. (laughs) The belief that it takes 21 days to make a habit is actually false. Faulty research, it's actually more like three months or more. So you just want to keep practice and everybody's different. And then one day you will believe those thoughts that you are practicing. So that's my favorite thing. Cognitive behavioral therapy is mixed with a lot of trauma survivors who are more somatic, kind of say, oh, that doesn't work. Well, it's not going to solve everything, right? Because trauma is a lot of it stored in the body. But I still think we need to do some mind work. I really do. And my survivors who have taught CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy have found it to be very useful. Okay, so it's a combination thing. Somatic work, learning how to be in touch with your body and how it's feeling, so the body scans, and learning how to feel safe in your body. There's all kinds of YouTube videos on somatic experiencing and techniques to try. A a couple, like Dr. Peter Levine is someone to follow and just practicing some of his tips, finding a safe place for you to let that out. In the wild, when any animal is traumatized, they scream, they shake, they get it, they process it out of their body. We in our society are trained not to, we shut that down really quickly. We don't allow ourselves to to shake, we stop it. We don't allow ourselves to 
to scream. It's not so socially acceptable. So finding ways where you can do some of this and move your body is really helpful for survivors. Meditation, very helpful. Coping yeah. skill. Physical exercise is the cardio, moving your heart rate. It helps release toxins and, and pent up emotions. Really helpful. Trauma-informed yoga, where you feel safe yeah. and you no know, one's touching you when you don't want to be touched or doing it from the privacy from out of your own home. Healing. I get my survivors to make a self-care bag. So when they are doing the top-down approaches, they can dig into their self-care bag for the little things that soothe them. And maybe they need their whole bag sometimes. Like maybe there's a cue cry that says, go get your weighted blanket. Use essential oils. Get your chapstick out. What's some good lotion? Maybe you need a nice warm root. Like whatever it is for you that works for you. Get those things out to soothe yourself. So I could talk about this for two days. So how long do you want me to keep going? Oh, I think, Karen, that's already given, I think, a tremendous amount of insight in that it is a very blended approach. And I suppose what I take from this is that each person is an individual and what is going to work for them. Absolutely. It depends on where they are on their journey. And maybe what's working in the beginning then evolves, if I'm right, to other things that work further down the line is unpicking. But I think there's hope and that there is so much more of these various tools is so fantastic and that they're more accessible. Rather, we've always had them, as you've said, we've always in reality been able to go out and, and scream and shake and, and there are obviously techniques developed now between exercise. There's also CBT, as you write, does have its role. It's a powerful technique. It has its own limitations. But yes, when you combine that with compassion and meditation, it, it feels far more hopeful than where we started, which is about the reality versus that there is hope. That's a beautiful summary. Yeah. You're more efficient Thank with you. it than I was. But you've got this wonderful Heal, Thrive, Dream community. But as we come to wrapping this conversation up, just tell a little bit more about that and if there are people out there who need that support, how they can connect into this community. Yeah, so let's start with what's available to everyone with no cost. Of course, my podcast, Heal Thrive Dream, we're on YouTube and all the places, Amazon, Apple, Spotify. It's called the Heal Thrive Dream podcast. We just recently had our 100th episode, so we're talking about that. The other free resource is a Facebook group. It's, let's see, facecom slash groups backslash dream. That will take you to the free Facebook group and it's woman only, so it feels safe. And so the content on there, it's meant to be more of an uplifting. We, I don't do any trauma treatment per se in that group. Sometimes I'll share research articles of what. And then the paid offerings I have, the most affordable is my virtual membership for women. And it's a group program. We do coaching support groups. We do bite-sized courses on different themes each month. It includes a planner, a book, and habit trackers. It helps women be accountable to their healing, their foundational healing from their childhood, helps them thrive in their current relationships. And also the dreaming part is looking at your future. What is it that you want? What purpose, passion do we want to tap into? So the, the group, even though it's my most affordable program, it's my favorite. Okay, so, And I also sell scholarships. So yesterday, mm -hmm. another a woman who could afford so bought a, a scholarship for a woman. So right now I have two other women on my wait list that are that cannot afford, even though the program is very affordable. They're in a place in their life where they can't afford the membership fee. 
One of them just finished getting her degree to be a teacher. So when you first start working, you feel the money's not there. And the other one had her husband was a major wage earner and he is now disabled. And so her income is smaller and thus she needs help to get going. So, and the third person, I can't remember who they are at the moment, but they're on my wait list. So anyway, another survivor purchased a, a scholarship yesterday. So that aids my another goodness. woman to get in. And when I sell the scholarships, I sell them at half price and they last as long as the sponsor wants to pay for it. And it's the half price is $20 a month. So they can sponsor a survivor for six months, a year, or as, as long as the survivor wants or needs. And if the survivor is able at some point to pay for themselves, we give the scholarship to another woman in need. So we just keep going with it. So that's my favorite program. I also do coaching, individual coaching for those who don't want to be in a group experience yet. So I offer the monthly service for that. And of course, I, I still have therapy clients. So for people who live in Virginia, I, I take some insurance yeah. that way as well. So that's mostly what I have to offer right now. Wonderful. We have an e-commerce store with Done. inspirational product. Uh, we help women who want to leave their toxic work environments. We can help them get set up with e-commerce. We help with virtual assistant. We do a lot of different things to help women. You're doing wonderful work in this world, Karen. You really are. And it is so needed. So we will put a link to healthrivedream.com and the podcast so people can reach out. They can either become part of your group, your program, draw on free resources, or may feel called to sponsor another woman who needs It really makes a huge to difference you, in Karen. women's lives. It really does. It does. And I want to thank you, Karen, for coming on Thriving Through Menopause and talking in a small amount on how women can really heal and move forward from trauma. So huge thank you from me. Thank you for what you do too and for having me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening and see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.